is the New South Wales Country Hour with Michael Condon on ABC Radio New South Wales. Hello again and welcome to the show. Coming up, we look at the flood damage and the situation around the state. We'll also uh, hear about the controversy in regards to apples and get a response from the New South Wales government as well on what they're planning to do after Tasmania says US apples are not welcome there. All that and a whole lot more coming up. First up today, we're going to look at the floods. Of course, the biggest flood in decades is threatening to sweep through several towns in rural New South Wales as uh, that heavy rain of uh, earlier on in the week and weeks before has uh, caused rivers to burst and uh, now hundreds of people are looking to flee their homes. Forbes is creeping closer to its worst flood record that it's uh, seen in, well, seen ever, its uh, highest for 70 years as a major flooding impacts on local waterways. Now, upstream of the town, the flood peak is expected to surpass the June 52 flood level of 10.8 later on today. It's also forecast to pass through Cottonweir on Saturday, then uh, Gemalong and the swollen Lachlan River downstream to uh, Uabalong and Bulagul as well. For more on what's happening in Forbes, our reporter Hamish Cole is there and he spoke earlier to Josh Becker. Yeah, so I'm just in the CBD at the moment where while the river hasn't risen above 10.64 metres, we are starting to see streets in and around the CBD become submerged in floodwater and significant road closures in town. This has all been brought about by that heavy rainfall we saw earlier in the week and the releases from Wyangula Dam with 80,000 gigalitres uh, being sent down overnight, which is all just building up, resulting in this major flooding in Forbes and leading towards a uh, expected record peak this evening of 10.8 metres. So while this is a town that is used to flooding, this would be the most significant flood in 70 years and we're starting to see those effects now with a number of businesses uh, feeling uh, seeing floodwaters coming into into their uh, shops and whatnot. So yeah, the town, it's it's looking pretty desolate at the moment with people just uh, getting ready to to deal with that flooding and those already dealing with it at the moment. What's the situation looking like over the next few days? Yeah, so it's going to be, we heard from the local SES authorities this morning, they're expecting this water to uh, pull around Forbes for really a week or so once it does arrive. So this is a situation that's going to be ongoing for people in Forbes and the farmers in the surrounding areas. So a real concern that this water, it isn't moving uh, too far away. It isn't moving away quickly once it arrives, which is a concern. Uh, And in terms of some of the towns downstream uh, from Forbes along the Lachlan, places like Condoblin and New Abalong, they're going to be the next area of concern, particularly for farmers in those uh, in places like Condoblin who are already dealing with being uh, cut off from uh, main roads and whatnot. That's, their situation's only going to get worse. So it really is looking like a number of towns along the Lachlan River system are going to be really feeling the effects of this. And you know, with farmers already dealing with those massive crop losses, it looks like it's only going to get worse. Yeah, it appears the focus at the moment is Forbes and the town and this, the town centre in Forbes, but it, this is going to have flow-on effects to farmers further downstream, as you say, to areas like Condoblin, which are already seeing that widespread flooding. 
Yeah, we, you know, it's something we've spoken about a lot in places like Condoblin where already reports of crop losses in ex- over 50%, uh, for some people 70%, and not being able to get access to homes for going on 12 months. And this is only going to get worse for them with what's to, what's to come downstream from, from Forbes. It's, you know, here in Forbes, it's already a, a really serious situation. And for, for towns like Condoblin, it's definitely a, a scary one to see what's going on, knowing what's to come and seeing what they've already, already been through. So definitely a, a concerning situation for, for people downstream for Forbes and for those in and around Forbes already with, with what we're seeing today and, and to come in the next few days. And when it comes to evacuations, and you mentioned the town's already in preparation mode for this flood peak, uh, are people evacuating and, and moving to higher ground and making those preparations? In town, only a handful of people have uh, evacuated. Local authorities expect that number to rise throughout the day. Uh, for a lot of farmers, though, they've, uh, they're have they used to this. They're, they're ready to isolate. Uh, so in terms of evacuations, this is an area that is used to these kind of floodplains and these uh, flood systems. So a lot of people are sticking around and are willing to... Uh, do the sandbagging and protect their homes. But, yeah, it's certainly, uh, it will be interesting to see with those, how many people do stick around as these river levels continue to rise. It's Hamish Cole, our reporter there, who's on the ground in Forbes. He was uh, talking there to Josh Becker. Now, the Forbes sale yards have become a bit of a holding pen for sheep, cattle, pigs and donkeys as the farmers look to move stock to higher ground ahead of the flood peak. Cassie Wormsley is the manager of the Forbes Central West Livestock Exchange and she uh, explained the situation to Josh Becker. Today it's a bit calmer. Thursday we had a lot of stock coming in to be fed and spelled overnight but they've seemed to be get, getting them out at the moment to um, go north to drier areas. I'm not quite sure where but um, we've still got a two and a half thousand few more sheep here, 100 odd cattle. We did have 100 odd donkeys but most of them are gone now. Um, a dozen pigs, 15 horses. <laughs> so yeah, it's... Um, it sounds like um, yeah, it would have been a very busy day on Thursday managing all those animals as people are uh, preparing for this flood peak. What are you hearing from people as they're coming to the sale yards? Um, We've had a few floods over the last, yeah, five or six years, but this one, people are starting to pan. Well, they'll panicking, yeah, um, and looking at a few of the photos and listening to a few people. I think they had every right to be. I can see water from the sail yards down towards um, the back paddocks. So, and I've never seen that before. So, but we'll be out of water here. How has the floods affected your place as well? Um, I moved out of home on Tuesday night and brought a caravan up to the sail yards. And I'm a little bit anxious. Um, usually I stay there, but this time I, yeah, wasn't worth the risk. So I've got a few head of cattle there. Hopefully the neighbours are keeping an eye on those. Um, and fingers crossed my house stays okay, but I'm pretty sure all the sheds and That'll be under. My house is raised. I've always got cut off there, um, but it's never really affected me greatly. I've just couldn't move. 
But um, this time, I think the whole place will be under. So it'll be under my house and through the sheds. Um, I did think about moving my few head of cattle, but I thought, oh, there's a bit of a high spot there. They should be right. But um, now I'm starting to panic. But I'll just wait and see what happens. How are you feeling about um, this flood peak that still hasn't quite hit Forbes just yet? I'm really worried. Um, being a sow yard manager, I know a lot of farmers around the place and I've heard some horror stories already of sheep being stuck on islands, cattle being stuck, and they've been trying to get them off. But, um, yeah, it's been wet for so long. Yeah, so I think we're going to lose a lot of stock, a lot of feed, and after just coming out of that drought, yeah, it's going to break a few people. Uh, What do you think is needed at the moment? Do do you feel like there's enough support and assistance for people around Forbes? Um, Yeah, I think like the SES and all that are around here, but um, it's going to be after this peak goes through. I'm not quite sure how people are going to go because we've had a brilliant season, feed up to your knees, and if that sits underwater for a month, it'll be all rotted and, yeah. So probably hay and feed will probably be needed and mental health support too, I think. So. And... There's also a concern that uh, the floods in this situation may not recede very quickly at all, so this could be quite a prolonged event. Is that a concern for you? Yes. So, like Lake Jellico, Uabalong, Condo, they've been inundated, and that's where this water's got to go to, and there's just nowhere for it to go. So if it sits around, like I said, all the feed's going to yeah, just rot and... We'll be back to bear paddock for the drought. So what will be the role for the Forbes sale yards over, the, over today and, and the next few days as, as we see this flood and the flood peak? Um, I've put it out on social media and that if people need to bring their any stock, more than welcome to bring them up here. There's dry paddocks, or slightly dry paddocks. We've got yards, undercover yards. Um, we've got people with horses here. Um, yeah, like I said, we had 20-odd pigs dropped off yesterday to keep them out of the flood water. And, yeah, we like to ha- think that people can, yeah, feel welcome to bring their stock here. Has it been a challenge for farmers to get their animals to the sale yards for those numbers down back on what you'd usually see in, a, in the yardings across the sale yards this week? Yes. we uh, Actually, Monday we sort of had a bit of a jump in cattle because I think people knew this was coming. Um, sheep numbers were down a bit and we've actually cancelled the sales for next week. There's no way that we'll be able to run a sale. Buyers, with all the roads shut, um, buyers, transport. I was just talking to one of the um, national transporters. They're trying to get cattle out of here and they've just told us to put them down the paddock. It'll be a week or so before they'll be able to get in there. So, Cass, thanks so much for speaking to us on the New South Wales Country Hour. Thank you. 
Cassie Wormsley is the manager of the Forbes Central West Livestock Exchange who mentioned the uh, sheep and cattle sales are cancelled for next week. You're listening to the Country Hour 17 minutes past 12. Well, uh, what's happening on the ground in Forbes right now? The uh, Premier's just had a press conference. Uh, Ken Murphy is the Chief Superintendent with the SES. He's in Forbes at the moment and he joins me now. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. So you've just travelled out to Forbes and would imagine in your travels you would have seen water, water everywhere across all of the paddocks and all the farms and uh, damage to crops on the way through. Yeah, there's a lot of water out there and at the moment we're experiencing what's known as a blue sky flood. There's not much rain but um, the flood water is everywhere and it is still moving quickly. So all of our emergency warnings and all our previous warnings about driving through flood water, things of that nature still remain in place. Fantastic community spirit here. Um, I've just been up to the SES station. Um, there's a huge number of community members there that are assisting us with filling sandbags and assisting loading people's cars with sandbags. So at the moment, we have over 500 homes that have been door knocked. Um, assistance provided by Fire and Rescue New South Wales and the Rural Fire Service to assist those. Um, a thousand people have been affected with the current evacuation orders. Um, and there will be more as the water continues to rise during the day there. As we heard before, previous evacuation warnings, people didn't necessarily heed them and didn't move to the centres. Are we, uh, uh, apart from the sandbagging that people are undertaking, are people moving to those centres now? Yeah, a lot of people are. A lot of people are heeding our warnings. And, you know, we're working here in the local emergency operations centre working with all the other government agencies there so we have established a number of evacuation centres around the area here to um to assist people but once again you know we we go back to those messages that we've been putting out to the communities for weeks about you know being prepared to be prepared Mm. so you know once we get our warnings out there please make sure that you are in a position to evacuate your home you consider things such as medication you consider things about contacting friends, knock on your neighbour's door, make sure that they're fully aware of the warnings that are currently out there and, and just assist everybody and make sure that you you know, have a means of transporting your pets. At the evacuation centres, we do have facilities there to assist members of the community with their pets, etc. So, you know, it's a huge effort here, um, you know, greatly led by, you know, the, the local council down here who are doing such a fantastic job working with our SES volunteers and those partner agencies. Now, you get regular briefings from the Bureau of Meteorology. Is it still looking like it'll be a, a flood greater than the one in 1952? Is that still what we're hearing? Is a bit touch and go there and still a bit of a reprieve on that rainfall, but that flooding is still increasing, I gather? Yes. Yeah, so our current information is that it may exceed 10.8 metres, which was the record there. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of work going on to try and mitigate that. Um, there's a lot of work, as you know, sandbagging businesses and premises in the local central business district there and a lot of those homes there. So we are doing a lot of work, hopefully, that will mitigate that. But, you know, once again, we ask members of the community to, um, to make sure that you heed our warnings. Mm. And we're also hearing that, um, you know, there's been a lot of damage to farms. We're hearing there uh, from Cassie from the Livestock Centre saying that, uh, you know, a lot of pasture loss, a lot of fodder loss. So it'll be a, a long road and that flood is likely to hang around for quite some time. And I guess roads will be cut for quite some time too uh, and uh, cause quite a bit of damage to roads with all this flooding too. Something to watch out for. Yeah, and we're working extensively here with the transport network around ensuring that goods get through to here. 
um, and things of that nature. So there is extensive road closures. And once again, we ask people over the weekend, if you are travelling in areas that are currently flooded, then make sure that you are well aware of the road closures there. Once again, please do not enter any flood floodwaters and, and make sure that you know you actually plan your route. Because I gather that uh, there was a big uptick, uh, some sort of 300 rescues yesterday. So maybe if people aren't, aren't heeding that warning, you need to get that message out there about driving through floodwaters. Yeah, so in the previous um, week, we have done 114 flood rescues. The majority of those have been associated with people entering floodwaters and you know not listening to our advice. And when they're doing this, they're actually putting, you know, emergency service workers at risk. So once again, if it's flooded, forget it. Mm. And I guess too, so, and the uh, forecast from the Balmy is a bit of a reprieve in the rainfall, uh, but uh, as you say, blue sky flooding. Yeah, blue sky flooding. So people think, you know, oh, the event's over. It's certainly not. There's a lot of work being done. This water will move extensively across New South Wales in the next couple of weeks. Um, we are anticipating our involvement probably till well after Christmas. So there's a lot of planning going broadly across the state around addressing that flood water as it moves downstream. A lot of engagement with communities in that area and preparing those. So now we're working extensively with not only New South Wales agencies, but we do have a lot of assistance from agencies interstate. Um, we currently have some SES crews here from West Australia. They are doing a fantastic job. Some SES crews from Queensland working in Moree who are doing, you know, a fantastic job. So it, it's that whole mateship thing here in Australia, everybody working together. Mm. But what I'd love to see this weekend, and we've been pushing this message out quite a lot, is if you see our SES or our partner ages, agencies out in the street this weekend, just walk up to them and say thanks. You know, these people have been going so hard for so long now. Um, and those simple words of thanks mean so much to them for that dedication and commitment that they have for their communities. That is a very important point and uh, a good, uh, something good to, to, a good note to end on. Uh, uh, Ken Murphy, who is in Forbes at the moment, Chief Superintendent for the SES, thanks for that. Thank you for your time. It's 23 minutes past 12 on the Country Hour. Well, uh, many farmers are currently experiencing the biggest flood they've ever seen, and that's certainly the case for 22-year-old Jack Martin from Neurong, which is about uh, 25 uh, kilometres north of Murabit on the Wakul River. He's uh, busy trying to get livestock to high ground as he watches neighbours downstream battle countless levee bank breaches, and he spoke about what he's been seeing with uh, rural reporter Angus Verley. Well, for the month of October, we had um, the general area had pretty much 270 mils of rain, so everyone was uh, trying to pump off rainwater before sort of the flood got here, and then they had nowhere to pump it to for a lot of people because the flood came up for, from the month of October. I think the GG Bridge had about 5,000 megs going under it at the start of the month, and now it's up to um, 60,000 megs now, currently. So 270 mil for October for just the one month. I imagine that's probably not too far short of your average annual rainfall. Pretty much. I think in the drought years there a few years ago, we averaged about 170 mils each year. So um, it's pretty much unheard of. So what's happening with the river, Jack? I imagine it's putting a lot of pressure on those levee banks. Yeah, well, down from us, downstream of us, from the GG Bridge down towards Mellon, which is the next district down, uh, about every farm has 
got burst levee banks and they go underwater the last few days. There's not too many farms that haven't are on dry ground, if that makes any sense. It's um, not too good down that way. Right, so I imagine they're losing losing crop or lo- losing area by, by the minute. Thousands of acres of crop, and I don't even want to think about how many stock they've got stranded and lost. I know of um, one bloke further down has lost oh, yeah, 2,500 goats on the place, and he doesn't want to know how many he'd have left after that now. I think he's lost the majority of them. Oh, that's terrible. Terrible. Yeah, but you're just good. I think there's always people in worse worse situations than what we're in. We've um, we had problems with the rainwater, not being able to get off our paddock, paddocks, and it was draining off for a few days into the um, Lanka Creek, which is it flows into the Warkle. But after a few days of draining off, it started to back up from the Warkle, and now it's just rising and rising. It's um, sort of flooding us out from the inside. Now, Jack, you said the levees are holding up at your place, but things are getting dicey. Yeah, our levees are holding, but in a lot of spots there's only about two inches of leeway before it sort of comes over, so it's um, testing time for the levee banks, and, yeah, it's, um, we can't take much more of a rise. And right, so the level where it's at, how does it compare to past records? I mean, have you heard from the old-timers about what it's been like in the past? Yeah, well... At the GG Bridge, my grandfather reckons it's still two inches below 75 at the bridge, but there's more water moving through and down the river than back then, just because the road levels are different and there's more water down to escape. But he reckons there's more water around the river now, going down the river, than what there ever was in 75. Can you top your banks up, or is that just not practical? No, it's just not going to... We can't do that for our banks, it's just unaccessible because of the rainwater filling up the other side of the bank. Like, we'll have oh, holding back five foot of water and then on the dry side, if you could call it that, two foot of rainwater. Yeah, so it's not like you can just drive a truck in with an excavator and, and get to work then? No, no way. There's a few spots we can do a little bit, but you can't hold back the tide. How about your livestock? Well, they've got a few high paddocks, but... Um, it's just a matter of how long the feed will last them on them paddocks before we try and walk them out along some channel banks and truck them off somewhere. Or just, it's a bit of a waiting game to see what happens there and how much higher the river gets. But we can't take much more of a rise here, which is a bit concerning because they're forecasting a new river peak in Barham there on Tuesday, I think. So it'll be interesting to see how much more the walk can take. That's Jack Martin, who's on the Warkle River there, and he was talking there to Angus Verley with, of course, uh, the worst flood he's ever seen. 27 minutes past 12 on the Country Hour. You're listening to the Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. Well, the approval of US Apple imports has raised the ire of Australian apple producers who say it's created an unfair playing field of subsidies, sprays and different standards which could drive them out of business. Warwick Long spoke to Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt. Yeah, well, look, I can understand some of the concerns that apple growers have been expressing about the future of their industry. That is completely reasonable that people are concerned about this. But what I can assure both uh, apple producers and all Australians of is that the strictest biosecurity standards possible will apply to any imports that we end up receiving of US apples, just as those very strict rules already apply to imports from other countries like New Zealand and China 
uh, and Japan. So we obviously take biosecurity extremely seriously in this country. And you probably saw even in the most recent federal budget, we've kicked in another $134 million to further tighten our biosecurity regime. Um, but the reality is, uh, if we do want to be able to trade with other countries and if we want to be able to sell our beef, our dairy, our sheep, our wheat, our wool to other countries, then that also does mean from time to time we need to allow other countries to import to us as well. There is so suggestion take, yeah. that citrus for, from Australia to the US was effectively traded off against US apples coming back the other way. Is that the case? Well, I wouldn't quite put it that way, uh, Warwick, but certainly we have an interest in exporting a range of other product, pr products, including citrus, to the US. Uh, and the reality is that um, it's very unlikely that we can open up markets in other countries for other products if we're not also willing to consider taking their imports in some cases as well. And I think what we need to make sure of is that when we are thinking about allowing imports from other countries, whether it be the US or anywhere else, uh, that we make sure we do it on our terms and in particular have very strong biosecurity regimes. And that's certainly what we're intending to do here. Uh, as Apple and Pear Australia, the industry body that represents the apple growers in Australia, they say they understand the science behind and, and they accept the science behind the importation measures, but they don't trust the government work at the borders to keep out pest and disease, citing varroa mite, guava root nematode and other incursions in recent years as areas where border protection has failed. What assurances can you give them that it will be different this time? Uh, well, I suppose the assurances I can give them are that, first of all, we do continue to have one of the world's strongest biosecurity systems. And sure, there are examples where from time to time it hasn't picked up everything. But if you think about the range of plant, animal and other diseases that are in other parts of the world, I think Australia's biosecurity system has uh, stood the test of time pretty well. Uh, but in addition, as I say, we've taken the opportunity in the most recent federal budget to strengthen our biosecurity measures even further um, with extra biosecurity officers, extra detector dogs, uh, the livestock traceability system that we're implementing as well. Um, the other thing to bear in mind for this particular uh, issue is that um, the requirements of any trade will be that inspections need to be conducted uh, of consignments of apples on the US side of the border as uh, before they even get transported to Australia and they will be inspected again on arrival. So we'll certainly be doing everything we possibly can uh, to ensure that the sorts of diseases that are out there don't get brought back into Australia uh, and I have every confidence in our biosecurity officers that they'll do the right thing. That's Federal Agriculture Minister Murray Watt there now, uh, and this is a statement uh, in, in attributable to the Minister for Agriculture in New South Wales, Dougal Saunders. He says that the New South Wales government is aware of the Commonwealth-led bilateral trade agreement that will allow apples grown in the United States into Australia. America is a significant trading partner for our country and our state, and we already import a variety of fruit products from the U.S., Fruit, including apples, must, re must meet strict biosecurity conditions be being allowed to enter New South Wales. But uh, the Minister says this is a good opportunity to remind people to check the labels on their fruit and veg before you put them in the shopping trolley and always make sure you choose Aussie Grown first. That's from the Minister of uh, Agriculture, Dougal Saunders, here in New South Wales. It's uh, 28 minutes to one here on the New South Wales Country Hour. It's, uh, we'll have some weather details shortly, a bit of a reprieve in the rainfall. 
More on that in a moment. But first, Adam's story with the news headlines. Good afternoon. Afternoon. Well, the Premier's uh, just been uh, out in Forbes. Uh, he's been uh, helping locals out ahead of their expected flooding tonight, and he's announced 50 Defence Force personnel have been deployed there to provide additional support. That also includes a uh, Black Hawk helicopter. And there were more than 300 calls for help in the last 24 hours <clears throat> in various parts of the state. Around 1,800 people are uh, under evacuation orders as we speak. Uh, the Reserve Bank has delivered its latest statement on monetary policy. It's, uh, as it said last week, it expects inflation to peak at the end of the year and then decline towards the uh, 2 to 3% range mm. um, sometime after that. Uh, it also expects unemployment to remain, remain around 3.5% to the middle of next year before increasing to around 4.25% by the end of uh, 2024. Uh, the mother of the missing toddler, William Tyrrell, has just been found not guilty of providing uh, misleading evidence to the New South Wales Crime Commission. Uh, she can't be identified for legal reasons. She was charged in April. Um, and, of course, uh, the search for the missing three-year-old continues. Uh, Imran Khan uh, had a lucky escape yesterday. Oh, um, saw he, that. Well, he didn't entirely escape. He was shot in the leg. Um, but uh, supporters of Imran Khan are saying that the man who's been arrested uh, they're basically saying he's uh, just a patsy and uh, they're not buying any story that he acted alone. So they're saying it was... Uh He's just the shades you know, of Lee Harvey Oswald. Yeah, he's just the he's just the <laughs> Lee Harvey Oswald of the whole situation. Right. And uh, Qantas has issued a statement. This is after it was received the Tom Shonky Award uh, <laughs> yesterday. Uh, it says it's it's increased its on-time flights and fewer cancellations in the month of October. Uh, cancellations down two point two percent, which is below pre-pandemic levels, and only seventy four seventy four percent of flights are now departing on time, which is up from sixty nine. So, what, what's that about statistics? Damn lies and statistics. <laughs> <laughs> Still leaving around uh, 15 to 16 percent. Not leaving on time. Mark Twain was. Mark Twain said that famously. Yes, that's right. <laughs> you can make them say whatever you like. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, so I think we're meant to look at these and say, "Oh, oh that's doing very, much very good. Very good, Qantas. <laughs> well done. Yeah. The kangaroo is flying again. Yeah, that's it. Hey, I'm just reading out the numbers. <laughs> I know. I <laughs> understand. Analyzing. I understand. That's fine. Yeah. It's fine. It's all good. It's all good. <laughs> Yeah, I was always the one making the commentary. Yeah, that's it. Right. <laughs> send your texts and emails send the to the lawyers me. letter to him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks for that, Adam. Okay. Adam's story there with the news headlines. It's uh, time to find out what's happening with the weather details. Jordan Nataro at the Bureau. Good afternoon. Yeah, good afternoon, Michael. So a blue sky flood, they're saying, not much rain around, which is good. Yeah, definitely. Subtle conditions in the next few days. Very light coastal showers anticipated throughout the rest of the evening. Uh, we are going to start to see some more showers mainly focused around parts of the northeast, but again, they are going to be live as we head through Saturday. By Sunday, we are starting to edge towards more of a summer-like weather system with that trough slowly deepening through our inland areas. That's going to produce some thunderstorm activity as we get towards the afternoon. But until we get towards Monday, where the storms are going to start to only be isolated in parts, but there is enough moisture that we may see some localised moderate falls as those storms are going to be slow moving between Monday and Tuesday. But again, highly isolated thunderstorms as we get through those first few days of the week. The rest of the week is going to be one of more focus as we get towards the early indications of our next uh, more severe weather system coming through in the later part of the forecast. So we're now we're talking, obviously, the sort of seventh and beyond day of our forecast. So very much, again, early indications. But 
current modelling is suggesting that we are starting to see the next more highly unstable weather system coming through into the state, bringing the chance of more widespread rain, thunderstorms, and enough to obviously see renewed rises in many areas. So while we've got that short break at the moment, it is going to be one of continued focus for our next weather system coming into the state. And that's in about a week's time, that that rain is going to start again, you reckon? Correct, yeah. So our long-term climate outlooks are suggesting wet conditions through this next week, and that obviously isn't what's happening in the next few days, but it is all trying to indicate in our modelling that, that by the end of this coming week and generally into the next few days over the weekend coming this one, it is going to be one of more wet weather. It is going to be just another one just to slowly focus upon, obviously noting that we are seeing flood peaks into the next few days and obviously longer-term peaks heading down the rivers. It is unfortunate that we are st- still seeing the signatures of wet weather still in our forecast in the long term. So it might be pushing those peaks up. If you look at the hydrology of that, we might see those peaks rise again. It is unfortunate, but it does look likely that obviously any widespread storm activity and high-moisture um, weather systems coming into the state all have the ability to renew major flooding in many areas and until we can identify exactly how much is going to fall and get that modelling to determine how high those rivers are going to be, it's just going to be one that we're going to have to wait and see until we get to that point. Is it going to be raining in the Riverina, do you think? What are the modelling saying or is it uh, in more in the north of the state? It is widespread and that's right. the, I guess, the concern at this stage is that there is enough moisture that it will be one of widespread storms potentially building into some areas of rain. Again, very early days, but it is obviously noting that even in the first few days of November, we've already seen monthly averages being exceeded in some parts of the inland. So it doesn't necessarily need to be significant at no, this stage to be no. impactful and notable in that we're obviously starting to see those signatures return from potentially more rain into the state. Right, okay. So are we looking at that sort of general 20 to 30 millimetres again? Is that what the models are saying? Early indications suggesting that's a possibility, um, but at this stage it could be, again, one of those uh, weather systems of fast-moving storms, mm. which has come in past, produced some pretty high flush flooding impacts as well. So at this stage... So it could it's be worse. Main it could be better, it could be worse, yep. it could be one that we're just going to have to see exactly when it's going to come because obviously if it comes earlier and those floodwaters are still moving downstream in certain locations, it obviously could basically marry up and create some more significant impacts. So obviously if it's later, we can may get some relief in some areas as well and that flood water may obviously be able to be contributed into the, the rivers and dams and potentially have less impact. So its main messaging really being one of unfortunately we're not out of the woods yet as we get towards the rest of the year still obviously we're indicating that we are still seeing wet weather across the state that's going to exacerbate flooding in the state yep that's right and that's what the forecast is saying that's what the modeling saying at this point in time jordan thanks for that catch you later michael it's 21 minutes to one you're listening to the country hour on abc radio new south wales Well, to the flooding now in Forbes and uh, the New South Wales Premier Dominic Perrottet, as we just heard in the news headlines there, he was uh, speaking in Forbes a short time ago. Uh, Today we're also announcing for um, our farmers, agricultural producers um, across New South Wales in those um, affected LGAs that the rural assistance grants are available of up to $25,000. I want to thank the Commonwealth Government for the support that they have provided with that. I think the work that the state and the Commonwealth are doing together when it comes to emergency management uh, significantly improved um, and uh, we'll continue to work with 
uh, the Commonwealth Government in relation to additional support, financial support for um, our farmers who have gone through a very difficult time. Many coming back through drought, now on the, on the way to having a bumper harvest and for that to be lost in this difficult time is a real challenge, but uh, the Government is here from both the state and Commonwealth level uh, to provide um, that additional support uh, for those who need it. I also uh, want to thank the ADF. We have 50 uh, ADF personnel who will be deployed uh, here in Forbes to provide support um, over the next coming days as we expect these floodwaters to continue to rise. Uh, they are a source of inspiration for people on the ground, but they're also providing uh, significant assistance. Also with the Black Hawk helicopter help um, carry out night rescues should they be required um, over the next few days. Uh, so uh, in, in conclusion, I just want to continue to stress that point. Follow the instructions of the SCS. If those evacuation orders are in place, please make sure uh, you leave uh, because uh, by staying, we, we, those orders are there to keep you and your family safe and uh, we would expect these floodwaters to rise so in those circumstances those orders are in place listen to those instructions uh, our SES volunteers are doing an amazing job on the ground here in Forbes and right across the state that's the Premier Dominic Perrottet in Forbes and Emergency Services Minister Steph Cook uh, has a bit more detail on the producer grants well, we're here in Forbes where we are expecting uh, record-breaking floods uh, through this community in the days ahead. Uh, and whilst the weather conditions are easing for a short period of time right across New South Wales, the flood risk has not. Uh, so even if you are in a community where you are not at risk of inundation for your own home, uh, you may very well become isolated with rising floodwaters, uh, cutting roads uh, right across New South Wales at the present so we're really asking you to continue to keep up to date with the alerts as they come out in relation to your community. We do have over 100 emergency warnings in place today right across New South Wales. Nine uh, river systems are in major flooding at present. And of course, we've not only got uh, the very real risk here in Forbes in the Lachlan Valley, but we're also seeing major flooding in the Murray, the Murrumbidgee uh, and the, uh, the um, uh, river systems out west like the Barwon and the Darling, the, the Namoy, etc. So really asking uh, people to work with us uh, over the days ahead. Um, we will see um, more blue skies into the future, but just for now, we just need people to continue doing the right thing, looking after each other and working with our emergency services organisations. I'd also like to say a huge thank you to our SES volunteers uh, and to the volunteers of all of our emergency services organisations. They continue to work in very, very closely. From an SES perspective, uh, we are leading um, an amazing response right across New South Wales where every single agency is making a very important contribution to the response and then into that all-important recovery phase. In relation to the uh, primary producer grants that have been announced this morning by the Premier, uh, these are grants of up to $25,000 um, available to primary producers in 66 local government areas. Um, we have extended uh, overnight uh, the number of local government areas covered by a natural disaster declaration by an additional 11, taking the total number covered by this event to 66. And to give you some context, uh, in our February-March event, there were just over 60 local government areas impacted by that event. So this event now um, eclipses what we have seen earlier in this year. 
And what I've said um, a number of times in recent uh, weeks is that we are now seeing flood upon flood upon flood, the layering of one flood on another. So we know that there is a lot of... Um, a lot of work to be done in terms of the restoration of public infrastructure. We will continue to support councils. We will continue to work with primary producers and communities. And, or, and importantly, we will continue to work with the federal government to unlock more layers of support uh, as the need becomes apparent to us. Steph Cook is the Emergency Services Minister. The Country Hour on ABC Radio New South Wales. If you think the price of producing and buying food is high now, what if I told you that we weren't even close to paying the full cost? Experts are warning the bill is coming due soon and policymakers need to take action, as Kelly Buchanan reports. For every farm across the world, somewhere there's a back office, that place stashed with invoices and receipts. Some are more organised than others. Some are the glove box of the ute, maybe it's a box under a desk. But every producer has some way of working out what the cost is of what they produce. But there's a massive part of that calculation that's missing. Because Mother Nature's back office is not set up and it's not issuing us those invoices for the ecosystem benefits that we are deriving from nature to produce and consume the food feed fibre that we consume. Sunny Vagazi is the Group Chief Executive of Agribusiness Olam International. In Australia, they're known for cotton in Queensland and almonds in Victoria and New South Wales. He's also the Chairman of the World Business Council for Sustainable Development. At the TropAg conference in Brisbane, where agricultural researchers from more than 50 nations gathered to discuss the latest science in food and fibre production, he warned the bill is coming due and governments, farmers and consumers aren't ready. This is the first food price crisis that we've all confronted where 90% of the world's countries have got high food price inflation. He says a study into the world's four main food crops, rice, wheat, soybeans and corn, has found the unaccounted for value from the environment is staggering. So Mother Nature is subsidising us. We're not paying the true cost of these four commodities. And they looked at beef meat, pork meat and lamb meat. Almost $3 trillion of costs are not priced in. Now, already we heard that 819 million people are going to bed hungry every day. And if Mother Nature is already subsidising us by $3 trillion, what will happen if you pass the real cost on to the consumers? So there are policy questions that we need to answer. And policymakers are not waking up, not coming to the party. And therefore, we have a problem that looks unsolvable. He says at a time when global food insecurity is exploding, food is both too expensive and too cheap. President of the National Farmers Federation and Chair of the Commission for International Agricultural Research, Fiona Simpson, calls it the wicked problem. One of the things that I think we need to do, and we need to do it urgently, is we need to realise that we're all in this together. We need to be moving towards a lower carbon economy, but we also need to do that in the knowledge that we have people who are starving across the world in Australia, in a country where we have so much food. Just last year alone, over two million households identified as food insecure. Now, that's in a country where we produce way more food than we should be able to eat. So clearly it's not just production. 
and it's not just climate change and sustainability. It is about food waste. It is about how do we deliver that food. We need everybody recognising that it's a problem that we need to solve, not just domestically, but globally. We all need to work together and we need everybody to put their shoulder to the wheel. Dr Seganet Kelamu is the Director General of the International Centre of Insect Physiology and Ecology in Nairobi, Kenya. She says without food security, there cannot be action on climate change. I can't think of anything more agonising, more degrading than people who are constantly food insecure, who are begging for food. And any country which is constantly on the receiving end of persistent food insecurity cannot focus, cannot address any other human uh, development challenges effectively. It's a measure that's put to measure poverty, eradication, lifting people out of poverty. It's a ridiculous number, $1.90 a day. Who lives on $1.90? My cat doesn't live on $1.90. Are we serious that we are lifting them out of poverty? Really explain to those who make policies and do the investment how much actually their political well-being is dependent also on the well-being of people. Historically, the answer to food shortages has been to lift productivity. But with increasing climate pressure, Claudia Sardoff from the Global Research Consortium CGIR says that's getting harder to do. It's not just the productivity in tons, it's nutrition. And we really have a a, a crazy situation in the world today with malnutrition and obesity. We need to be thinking about the productivity of nutrients, not just calories, and balance those nutrients and calories against our natural resource constraints. She says what's needed is a mindset shift. If we're really thinking about the sort of next generation of food systems, we recognize that if all fossil fuel were stopped today and we went immediately to renewables, we still couldn't achieve the Paris targets without transforming our food systems. And our farmers in particular, our small-scale farmers, are really on the very front lines of adaptation, the most vulnerable and feeding the most vulnerable. So where does that leave Australia and Australian farmers? Fiona Simpson says it will take consistent adaptation and leadership. We certainly don't envisage that Australian grain producers are going to grow double as much crops. We've sort of done that here already. What we're about in Australia is farming smarter, not harder, and that's using data, that's using um, nature and climate change as a driver. We've got peak fuel, peak food prices at the moment. We also have peak costs of farming. And so whether you're a smallholder farmer or a larger scale farmer, it's how can you create value from what you do. And while the problem is complex, Dr Seganet Kelamu says the interventions don't have to be. In one project in Ethiopia, just by changing the type of hives used for beekeeping, she says the sector was transformed. 100% it was male, male dominated. So we looked why And the reason was just one simple thing, because a conventional hive is all up on a tree, and women are not climbing that. And so we worked with the government to give these women who have no land, land. And so we made 65% are women, beekeepers. We coupled it with crops that are 100% pollination dependent. So we could triple, more than triple the yield 
just by doing that. So a lot of these women are prosperous five years later. So you can actually transform with just a simple technology like that. So there is hope and there are opportunities. But Sunny Vagasi says it will take transformational thinking. And yes, he means from you too. I think relying on just government agencies and the scientific budgets of all the government-sponsored research institutions is not going to be enough. So we need to think out of the box and differently. There are so many artificial constraints that we put around ourselves that we miss sight of the ultimate goal of pivoting the food and ag sector into a more food-secure and sustainable future for all. How many of you in this room know your carbon footprint? If you're not going to be the change that we want to see in others, what chance in hell do we have to change the world? Chairman of the World Business Council for Sustainable Development, Sunny Vergesi, speaking there with Callie Buchanan. It's uh, coming up to seven minutes to one. Now, earlier this week, we heard from farmers offended when a letter to suppliers from supermarket giant Coles suggested producers turn their minds to cutting costs on the supply side rather than relying on a price rise from the supermarket. Early this year, Coles announced it would lock in prices on 1,100 items until the end of January. Now, Coles has provided a written response to that story uh, here at the ABC. It says, we are absolutely committed to working with our suppliers to navigate the challenges associated with inflation to ensure we're helping Australians with cost of living pressures while being fair and mindful of the impacts facing our suppliers. Over the past few months, the number of requests we've received for price increases has risen significantly and we've dedicated additional resources to ensure we're dealing with those requests in a fair and timely manner and in accordance with the grocery code. Being mindful of both the impacts of our suppliers and our customers, When it comes to natural disasters, our fresh produce team are absolutely committed to supporting our suppliers on the ground and we've worked closely with farmers and growers to help their businesses recover after devastating events such as the floods. Six to one. Now to our weekly wrap of livestock markets and numbers for cattle and sheep well down in a number of selling centres this week. Dan O'Brien is an auctioneer at RH Blake & Co Wagga Wagga. He says the, the shortage of stock was due to the widespread flooding. Oh, it certainly would have had a, a pretty significant impact. Um, whether or not it's, it's simply due to road closures is, is one thing, but particularly with the lambs and we're in the midst of our sucker selling season here in Wagga, um, and it's a, a presentation issue as well because uh, they are just been so wet that people are reluctant to put them forward if the presentation's not quite right. So it might be a logistical, might be also a presentation issue as well. What about the cattle? What bit, similar sort of numbers down on cattle too? Yeah, look, our, our, the early indications, Mike, for our sale uh, this forthcoming Monday is is probably the best part of a thousand cattle less than what we yarded last Monday and and I dare say that would primarily be due to, to logistical matters and uh, you know road closures and that sort of thing access generally and what are we seeing in prices in in terms of prices heading up because of lack of supply <clears throat> um, look with the cattle job it's been steady as she goes now for a little while um, it is uh, obviously still at historical high levels or historically high levels uh, without really ramping up due to a lack of numbers but but yesterday here in Wagga the the lamb market was significantly dearer on a on a big reduction of numbers
Is that because they're, uh, there's a problem in the processes? They need the supply. Oh well, I think we're all we're all uh, in a numbers game, and uh, the, the fewer the numbers, uh, it would follow that there is uh, an increase in demand, and that was very evident yesterday. And what about the price? So pricing for cattle too was you're saying it's fairly steady for cattle. Cattle numbers um, will probably be back a little bit this forthcoming week for us, uh, but the pricings remain very, very consistent there for uh, quite a number of weeks now. Are you worried about how long this flood will impact on the market? Oh, look, I think, uh, you know, unlike droughts, uh, floods do have the ability to come and go, thankfully, fairly fairly quickly, and I think... uh, I think without further um, substantial rainfall, I'd like to think that logistically we'll be back on track within another week uh, or two. I think the uh, the real concern going forward um, is, is probably more so the, the human element and, and the devastation that it creates and the mess that it creates for people. Um, and, of course, we, we have to think of our, uh, our cropping programs and, and what may be in store for them. But certainly livestock, uh, it, it's a it's a minor headache for a week or two that I think will all come through, um, you know, not too far away. And the feed might be scarce in those flood-damaged areas too, with fodder crops gone and, uh, you know, pastures gone, that sort of thing as well. That's an issue? Oh, certainly. Um, you know, the, the quality of the feed has has just not been there. Um, even though we're, we're now into November, it's uh, it's the, still very, very watery, very wintry-type pasture without a great deal of uh, fattening quality to it. But... Uh, We just need a few weeks of sunshine and hopefully we'll all be back on track. Dan O'Brien is an auctioneer at RH Blake & Co. Wagga Wagga talking about uh, what's been happening in the livestock markets for cattle and sheep this week. It's uh, two minutes to one. Let's go to Griffith now. Griffith Sheep and Lambs. Good afternoon. Lamb number Z is to 7,100 and this included 4,500 new season lambs. The quality was very good across all the lambs and again most were heavy and extra heavy weights. The market lifted 15 to 20 on the trade in heavyweights. Extra heavies gained 6 to 10. Unshorn new season trades to 24 kilos, 178 to 215, averaging 8.50 cents. Heavyweights to 30 kilos, 212 to 250, with extra heavies reaching 270. Old lambs. Trade lamb sold from 161 to 198. Heavyweights, both old and shorn, 169 to 255, averaged 840, with extra heavies reaching 272. Heavy merinos sold to 225. The best priced hogget reached 214. Mutton numbers lifted for a good run of heavyweights. Prices were firm. Medium weight ewes, 111 to 132. Heavy crossbred ewes reached 161, and merinos, 157. And this has been Graham Richard. Thanks, Graham. You've been listening to the New South Wales Country Hour and a reminder of what's happening. Uh, we're seeing the biggest flood in decades. It's threatening to sweep through uh, several towns in rural New South Wales as uh, that week of heavy rain that's caused the rivers to burst and uh, hundreds of people have been forced to flee their homes. Forbes, as we heard earlier in the program, creeping closer to the worst flood record that's been seen in over 70 years as that major flooding impacts local waterways and towns and farms in the region as well. Upstream of the town, the flood peak is expected to surpass the June 52 flood level of 10.8 later on today. Stay listening to ABC Local Radio for the latest information. Also, check out the website uh, on the SES website about the latest information and the reminder that uh, the SES has been uh, saying a number of times, don't drive through flood waters. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you Monday. It's coming up to news time.